Well, I want to welcome you this morning. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church, and we're really excited about today. And uh, I just have to congratulate all of you on being spiritual elite. Um, I've, I'm assuming someone forgot to tell you there's a Broncos game this morning. Um, so no, I'm kidding. I'm so glad you're here. And uh, we have a few missing that uh, I have suspicions about where they're, where they're at, but that's all right. Um, and we're glad that you're here. And regardless of what's going on uh, in football at the moment, God's here to meet with us and is going to speak to us. Now, I normally don't like to start a sermon with announcements, but uh, I do want to talk about something really quick. Now, you were given... One of these, when you walked in, we're actually going to talk about this later and why we gave it to you and what the purpose of it is for. But inside, um, there are some cards. And again, we'll spend more time talking about why you got one of these or several of them later. But the main thing I want to bring to your attention at this point is that we're starting a new series next week. Uh, it's something that we do every once in a while here at Element Church, and it's something that is a lot of fun, and I think you're going to enjoy it. And uh, it's called FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions, and it's an opportunity for you to ask questions that you've always wondered about. Um, what does the Bible teach about? Fill in the blank. What does God think about? Fill in the blank. Whatever questions are nagging you or doubts that you have or something that you're struggling or wrestling with, um, we encourage you to ask those questions. And we're going to take those questions and make them the basis for our, our messages throughout the month of October. And so there are several ways that you can ask your question. You can email it to faq at yourelement.org. You can anonymously text in your question um, by sending uh, the keyword element to and your question to 22333 or... While you're here, you can take that connection card that's in your seat or the one next to you. At the bottom, there's a place for you to, to ask questions. And you can ask a question. You can have your name on the card or you can make it anonymous. And then before you leave, you just drop it off in the basket. Um, and this series that we're going to start beginning next week is really going to be only as good as the questions that you ask. And so the more questions you ask and the better and even the more challenging um, the better this time will be. But it's a, t- a chance for us to ask honest questions um, and to seek for truth and honest answers. And so there is no topic off limits, no question off limits. And I encourage you to ask as many uh, questions as you have. There's no limit on how many you can ask. And the only reason I bring that up now before the message is that way, if you want to ask a question today, you have time to think about it. Um, maybe while we're talking today, something will pop up in your mind. You can write that question down uh, and you can drop it off in the basket. Of course, we're going to give you information uh, to take home so that you can email or text in your questions on your own at a later time. But I just wanted to bring that up so you have a chance Normally, we do all of our announcements at the end, and there's not a lot of time to think before you're out of here. And especially with the Broncos game, I imagine there'll be a little more of a quicker exodus this morning. And so I want to give you a chance uh, to think and, and to feel free to ask any questions. And maybe just as we're talking, something will crop up, all right? So just wanted to cover that before we dive in. So uh, in light of that, let me pray for us and for me. And then we're going to, uh, to dive in this morning. Lord, thank you for uh, being here and meeting with us this morning. Um, Lord, would you confront us? All of us are in a different place in our life and our faith. And would you speak to us just in the right way that we need to hear it? And that you would do something that only you can do in our hearts. We love you. We trust you. We expect that you'll move this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. 
Well, I don't know about you, but um, confrontation doesn't bother me. Now, I know for some of you, you're exactly opposite. You're like my wife who is scared to death to confront someone, uh, except for me. She's, she's okay with that. But, but she does not like confrontation. She doesn't like when someone brings it to her, and she certainly does not like to bring it to other people. All right, so I'm just kind of curious. How many of you in here do not mind confrontation? Like it doesn't bother you? Okay, so more than I thought. How many of you... I know you're scared to raise your hand, but say, I, I don't like confrontation. Like it bothers me. I avoid it. Okay. So maybe a little close to half, maybe heavier weighted in the confrontation area. So, so it doesn't bother me. Um, but, but I, you know, no one likes to do it. I mean, I don't, I don't want to confront people just for the sake of doing it, but I understand the value of it. Yesterday, uh, our track team, I coach track here at this school, and so we had our, our city championships yesterday, and uh, there were a lot of great celebrations, and there were a lot of tears. Oh, I should probably also tell you, I coached the girls' track team, so there were a lot of tears uh, yesterday um, that, that I had to confront. It was a great, great meet. Our, our seventh-grade girls won the city championship. Our eighth-grade girls came in second. They were really close, um, but there was a lot of harsh realities yesterday. Harsh realities that you think you're fast because you can run behind the school really fast. But when you get on a track with a lot of other athletes, you're not quite as fast as you think. That was a harsh reality for me in high school when I started doing track. Um, there were some other confrontations that had to take place. Um, we, at this school, are particularly good, and we spent a lot of time coaching field events. And part of that is because that's what I loved when I was in track. And so um, in the eighth grade girls, we took first in discus and shot and triple jump. In the eighth grade boys, we took first in the discus and the shot. I mean, we put a lot of emphasis on those. And so one of our really good discus throwers, uh, one of our eighth grade boys, great athlete, very strong, um, was out there throwing. And you know how it is when you're building up all this pressure for championships or something important, right? You just feel this overwhelming sense of how desperately you have to perform. And so, um, so he was trying to throw it as hard as he could, but in desperation was losing all of his form. And as a coach, there are certain limitations that I have. I can coach him when he's outside of the ring, the ring that he throws in. Um, but when he's preparing to throw, I, again, I, according to the rules, I'm not allowed to coach him as he's preparing to throw. That's just how it works. And so I can't tell him, hey, get out of your own head. Take a deep breath and just do what you know to do. You're going to beat everybody. You're that talented, but you got to slow down um, because he was trying too hard. And so um, the good end of the story is he ended up winning the championship, but he threw two good throws and then he was gearing up and they weren't as good as he could throw. Uh, he's gearing up for that third throw and he, he comes back and just goes through his spin but when he gets to the end, because he's thinking too much and trying too hard, he drops his shoulder, he throws his arm up, and when he does that, all of his momentum goes right up over the front of his foot, and he steps over the line, despite the fact that the discus um, flew an extra 20, 30 feet than what had, he had previously thrown at that point. Um, and so the judge, for whatever reason, watched his discus and not his foot. And he stepped out, stepped right back in. And I'm standing there, and so is a coach from another team. And he looks at me, and I said, I saw it. 
And so we had to go to the judge and say, you didn't see it. Despite the fact that's my kid who just threw the championship winning throw, that doesn't count. He scratched. And we had to then tell the kid, I know that was the throw you were looking for, but it's not going to count because you didn't stick within the rules. Now, the good part of the story is his second best throw was good enough to win it. But there are some harsh realities in life, and especially in sporting events, we see it. It confronts us uh, really quickly, uh, and it's really evident. And so sometimes when we read the Bible, we get confronted. And some of us are okay with that. Some of us shy away from it. But I hope this morning that you'll open yourself up to God speaking to you and being honest about some things in your life. Now, we are in John chapter 3 this morning, and so if I'm going to invite you to open up to John chapter 3, whether you brought your Bible, you want to use one of ours that's in a seat next to you or in your seat, or pull out your phone or your tablet, open up the Bible app. That's actually the easiest and quickest way to get where you need to go. Anyways, and so if you have not been with us, if you're new with us or you just haven't been here in a while, we've been taking a journey through the Gospel of John. And we are finishing up chapter 3 today, and uh, like I said, next week we're actually starting our FAQ series. So we'll take a look, we'll hit pause on the Gospel of John, we'll come back to it, uh, to it later. Um, but we are finishing up chapter 3, and uh, we are starting in verse 31. So we're going to finish up chapter 3, we'll be in verses 31 through 36 this morning. So let's look, verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. And he who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So verse 31 through 36, and as our typical pattern here at Element Church is we read our, our scripture for the day, and then we go back and we just start walking through it step by step and pointing out uh, a few things that will help to bring some light and shed some light into what we're studying and what's in, uh, in the text for this morning. So let's notice a few things. So if you have a Bible open, whether it's on your phone or sitting in your lap, I just want you to look at verse 30 and then 31. And, and, and I want you to think through this. You may even have to go back farther than verse 30. In verse 31, who is the speaker? So let me give you some context. What we read last week, John the Baptist, who is different than John the author, by the way, John the Baptist is speaking, and at the end of verse 30, we get these quotation marks. I just threw verse 30 up here just so you could see the quotation marks. Verse 31 does not have them. So here's a clue that we, so we can start to understand, is this is John the author speaking. It's no longer John the Baptist. I know all the Johns, they get confusing. So understanding who is speaking is an important part of understanding what you're reading. We say here a lot of times, when you're trying to learn how to read the Bible or, or learn more about what it is that you're reading, one of the greatest things you can do is ask good questions. Now, you may not know the answers to those questions, but that's part of the journey. By reading, asking good questions, 
and then starting in on that journey of finding the answers to those questions. And so, so here, even though it's such a subtle change, a, a subtle shift, realizing that we've just changed speakers is going to influence and shed light on what it is that we're going to read. So now what we have is we have the author narrating and teaching us something. Now, what, why would John, the author, do that? I mean, generally, it, as we see and we're reading, it, he's narrating and commenting and creating these narratives and these stories and these discussions and these sermons about Jesus. I mean, the focus is Jesus. So why is it that John, the author, is trying to throw in his own little two cents, his own perspective? And I think it's going to shed some light on what's going on and really... Here, John the author is giving us somewhat of a summary of chapter 3. He's trying to tie all the loose ends together. So if you were here, you, you may remember, you may not, maybe you weren't here. Um, but let's think through some of the things that have happened in chapter 3. Uh, chapter 3 begins with a man named Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the middle of the night. Nicodemus is a religious leader, so he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night because he doesn't want anyone else to know that he's going to Jesus for answers. As a religious leader, he's the one who's supposed to have all the answers. So at night, he goes to Jesus asking him some questions, and Jesus begins teaching him and confronting some misunderstandings that he has, that Nicodemus has in his life. But one of the big themes for Jesus is this idea that there are heavenly things, there are earthly things, and there's a great chasm between them. That it's easy for us to understand earthly things. That's what he tells Nicodemus. That Nicodemus, the religious leader, understands earthly realities, but he's missed the heavenly realities. He's missed what heaven's all about, what God is trying to do and trying to teach. Nicodemus understands the earthly stuff but even as a religious leader he missed the big point the big picture there's this chasm between the things of heaven and the things of earth jesus tells a couple word gives us a couple word pictures a couple illustrations but we preach that another week we'll we'll leave it there and remember john three sixteen. jesus is the bridge between that chas- in that chasm jesus is the bridge between the things of earth and the things of heaven. He's the one who connects the two together. I want us to look at something that Jesus says to Nicodemus in chapter 3 in light of what we just read at the end of chapter 3. So remember, at the end of chapter 3, it's John the author summarizing some things. Notice the similarities. Uh, let me do this. Let me read some of John, the end of John chapter 3 again, just so it's in your mind. Then we'll go back. So this is our verses for today at the end of John chapter 3, starting in verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who, he who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. So let's go back to what Jesus said to Nicodemus at the beginning of the chapter. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? This is the religious leader who should know it all, asking Jesus. And Jesus answered him, 
Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So John, the author, is connecting us to these realities of what Jesus was teaching about earlier. This is John, the author's way of tying loose ends together to bring all of this story into a completed whole so we can see how they relate to one another and come together. So let's go back to our text for today. And I want to point out a few things that John is going to use as part of tying these strings together to land the plane. And as he lands the plane today, he's going to confront us with a few realities. They may be comfortable or they may not be. But this morning, I hope that we're open to confrontation and what John, the author here, is going to do. Let me, uh, let me start in verse 33. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Now, most of us in this room probably are comfortable with that idea or even used to that idea. This idea that whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's what we read in John 3.16. When we, when we were talking about those verses, that Jesus is that bridge between those heavenly things and the earthly things, that he connects the two, that Jesus has come from heaven to earth so that we can be connected back to God who is in heaven and belief in him allows us to cross that bridge. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life gets to experience the bridge that Jesus has become. Most of us are okay with that idea. So if I were to say, what's the opposite of that statement? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. What's the opposite? Whoever does not believe does not have eternal life. Seems fair, right? Seems logical. Here's what John the author says. is He's tying all these loose ends together to bring it all to a close, to to kind of summarize what Jesus taught and how it works within our life. Whoever believes in the Son is eternal life. Whoever believes, oh, that's not what it says. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Now that's a reality most of us like to ignore. We love to promote, believe in Jesus, And we're okay with the idea that not believing in Jesus has consequences. Most of us in here would not be comfortable equating belief with obedience. We want to draw a line between those. Now, for the last 400 years, Christianity has preferred to draw that line. Since a guy named Martin Luther came and enacted what we now refer to as the Reformation, 
where we really started highlighting that we are saved by faith, which is exactly what the scriptures teach. We are saved by grace through faith. That our belief in Christ is what brings eternal life, and it is not dependent on our actions. And that's exactly what the Bible teaches. That our positions in having eternal life and in experiencing God's grace is on our belief and our faith in Christ and the grace that we receive through that belief. So why would John say this? Why would John say this if other parts of the Bible would say, no, it is the belief, it is the faith? Well, I think there's two reasons. Number one is John the author loves absolute statements. He does it throughout the Gospel of John. If you read his other letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, he loves absolute statements. In 1st John, he says things like this. Those who are born of God do not sin. Those who do sin are not born of God. That's an absolute statement. So, I mean, I'll be a little honest. If I've got sin in my life, I'm not perfect. Does that mean I'm not born of God? That's what John said. But then John will also say things like this. If in, in the same letter, 1 John. If you say you have no sin, you make God a liar. Wait a second, John. If I have sin, I'm not born of God. If I say I don't have sin, then I make God a liar. Because God says we've all sinned. So which is it? John, the author, loves absolute statements to prove a point and to confront us. Because we all know people who don't like confrontation, who would rather soften it a bit so it doesn't sting as much. Right? Those of us who don't mind confrontation, let's say it like it is. Dude, you stepped over the line. That throw doesn't count. If you don't get first place... Sorry, rules are rules. And then some of us like, let's soften it a little so it doesn't sting so much. But the author John doesn't mind confrontation. He'd rather get his point across so you understand it and you don't confuse it. How are we saved? By grace, through faith. Those who believe have eternal life. John said it multiple times already in this chapter. He says it here. Whoever believes in the Son is eternal life. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. He's already said it multiple times. But He loves these absolute statements to confront us with reality. And here that reality for Him is, Belief and obedience are so closely tied that what might be the most dangerous thing for you to do is to dry, try to draw a line between the two. As though I can believe and what I do doesn't matter. Jesus said these very similar words to Nicodemus, a religious leader who did everything right. And he says, you're the religious leader of Israel and you don't know these things? 
one of the most dangerous things that we can do for our own soul is to think that as long as I believe correctly, it doesn't matter what I do. And John would say, whoever believes has eternal life, but if the obedience doesn't follow, maybe there's something wrong with the belief. John's not afraid to be honest, to be confrontational, and to make all of us think. Because what would be easy is if John softened it so it didn't sting so much, so that we would go on just like we already were without any worry. But he wants to drive a point home, so we stop and we think, and it causes us to reflect. And here's why. Here's why it's so important for John, and it's how he ends it right here. Whoever believes in the Son is eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So for those who don't believe and those who don't obey, which John would say they're so closely tied that we're not going to try to separate them, even though we still trust and believe and know and stand on the truth that we're saved by grace through faith. When do those individuals who do not believe, who do not obey, who have not experienced life, when does God's wrath fall on them? Most of us in here naturally think of the final judgment, whether you, you die tomorrow and you go before God or Jesus returns and the final judgment. We're like, that's when the wrath comes. And John says, no, 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 no. That's not when the wrath comes. The wrath is already there. Let's see how Jesus said it when he was talking to Nicodemus. Starting in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to contemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. So this is the same thing. It's just Jesus said it. Today we're talking about how John said it. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus confirms it. It's belief. It's through belief that we're saved. It's not by works. It's not by actions. It's not by religious obedience that we earn God's love or grace. Though those who have received his love and grace it certainly changes how we live and how we obey but here jesus says the same thing those who do not believe are condemned already here's why john is going to be so absolute in his statements condemnation and wrath is not a future threat it's a present reality for those who don't believe And that's what we often forget. For John, this is so urgent. He doesn't have time to pull punches and soften the blow. It's not about a future threat. It's about a present reality that must be confronted for us. It's not enough to say, I'll take care of it tomorrow. I'll take care of it when life settles down. 
Once I get that promotion, I can slow down a little bit and focus on other things in life. Once retirement comes, once we get the kids out of the house, it's not about waiting for the future to take care of it because the problem is not a future problem, it's a present one. And the availability to take care of that problem is also available right now in the present to you. That's why John is so strong in his words. That's why he's so absolute. Because he doesn't want us to miss the present danger. Don't think it's a future threat. Don't think that you'll find a future solution. The condemnation, the wrath is there now. And he wants us to examine our lives. Do we believe There's two parts of belief. There's head knowledge. I'm going to guess most of us in this room today are going to agree with the head knowledge that Jesus died to save us. That we believe in Jesus. But where John wants to confront us, he'd say, okay, let's find out if that belief is real. Let's find out if that knowledge, if that belief went from your head to your heart. Not only do you believe in the Son, but do you obey the Son? That's what John wants to press into us this morning. Because there's not enough time to wait. It's not about a future threat. It's about a present threat. But it's also about a present solution that Jesus is offering to us now. He said, whoever believes may not perish, but have eternal life. John says, whoever believes has eternal life. Let us not be confused or distracted by saying, I'll take care of it later. I'll worry about it later. I'll get it right later. I'll just make sure I get it done before the condemnation comes, before the wrath comes. And John would say, no, it's too late for that. It's there. So let's take care of it now. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for our time together this morning. And Jesus, would you confront each of us where we stand, where we sit, with the reality of our lives? with the current state of our belief and obedience. Whether we appreciate or avoid confrontation, would you move in our hearts so strongly this morning that we could not resist it? I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed for a moment. There's a couple of things that before we leave today, I want to make very clear. First of all, I want to make very clear that you cannot, will not ever earn God's grace or love or salvation. Your obedience will not bring about eternal life. The Bible is abundantly clear throughout its teachings that Christ has done the work the work that we couldn't do. And that our job 
is to see him for who he really is, believe him, give our lives to him, and trust that he will be the bridge to to cross that chasm from earth to heaven, the chasm that is so wide and so great we would never cross it on our own, no matter how obedient we may try to be. Jesus confronted a religious leader of his day with this truth, a man who had devoted his entire life to knowing the Scriptures and obeying them. Because Jesus saw in him a disconnect that this man had relied on his obedience and not his belief. I want to make that clear this morning. That it's your belief in Christ that brings eternal life. But I also hope that John was clear as he confronted us that true belief brings about true obedience, true repentance, true life change. And while we cannot depend on our obedience to save us, we can look at our lives, we can look at our actions as a litmus test to know whether our belief is real, whether our heart has been changed. And my challenge to you is to do a little self-examination in this room this morning. Has God changed your heart? Has He changed the way you see your life and live your life? Have you let Him confront you where you are? And if you're unsure or maybe even confident that you don't have eternal life, that you stand condemned today, that the wrath of God is on you today for your sin, then would you believe? The Bible says in Romans that if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, if you'll believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, if you'll confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If that belief will transfer into a confession, you'll be saved, that God will pour out his grace and eternal life on you. Would you do that this morning? No special words, no magical words. You open up your heart to God. Confess to him what's going on in your heart and ask him to come in and to save you. Confess your belief in him. Will you do that this morning? And if you are sitting here saying, I've done that already, then the challenge is for us to to examine our lives and look for new ways, more ways, in which Jesus can grow grow our obedience. So that every day, more and more of our lives reflect this truth and this reality. In a moment, uh, we're going to ask for you to respond. And the way that you respond is by following God's prompting in your heart. So when I'm done praying, if you want to stay seated and pray yourself more, think, meditate. If you want to stand and sing, Our communion table is open for those who would like to make that a part of their worship experience as we remember the death Jesus died to make eternal life possible. 
The night before his crucifixion, he told his followers as he broke some bread, this is my body which is broken for you. As he passed around a cup, he said, this is my blood that is poured out for you. And then he said this, do this in remembrance of me. So every time we take of the cup and the bread, we remember his sacrifice, the work that he did for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. So I'm going to challenge and encourage you to follow God as he leads you as you respond to his truth. Lord, thank you for who you are. Would you continue to move and to speak in this place in our hearts? Confront us. Even in ways that we don't know we need it, confront us. We love you, Jesus.